wanted to share the ideas that I shared just this past Shabbat at MJE so that it can enhance your Yom Atzma'ut because the concepts in this talk, in this brief talk, are not only applicable to last week's Parsha, Tazriyah Mitzorah, which is a difficult Parsha to understand, but how they relate to the 75th anniversary of the independence of the State of Israel, uh, the birthday of Israel, if you will. Now, the, the Parsha, Tazriyah Mitzorah, contains all these difficult laws I mentioned. First, we are told that a woman, when she gives birth to a boy, she becomes Tameh, richly impure, usually translated as richly impure. It's really a condition that prevents a direct encounter with holiness. So she's in this state for seven days, and then she has to wait an additional 33 days, during which time she can't touch anything holy or enter the temple, the Mikdash. And the similar rule applies to when a woman gives birth to a girl, right? It's just a different waiting period. Instead of seven days, it's two weeks. Instead of um, 33 days, it's 66 days. And after this waiting period is completed, the Torah then instructs the woman to bring two types of sacrifices, two types of offerings, an ola, a burnt offering, and a chatat, a sin offering. What is the deal? I mean, oh, I mean, it's a big deal to give birth, but what does giving birth have to do with bringing these sacrifices and becoming into, becoming a, a, uh, a ritually impure person, whatever that means? And as long as we're talking about ritual impurity, let's talk about the other things that make us ritually impure, also mentioned in this week's Parsha of Tazria and Mitzorah, which is coming to contact with a dead body, a woman's menstrual cycle, a man's seminal emissions, these experiences require, in the days of the temple, um, of course, the woman's uh, situation still remains to this day. That's a whole other talk. But these experiences require a waiting period and the bringing of sacrifices, which we no longer do, of course, to be able to come in contact with holiness, to be able to re-enter the temple precincts. Why? What is about, and think for a minute to yourself, what is it about all of these experiences the woman's menstrual cycle, the man's seminal missions, the um, the corpse, what do they all have to do with, of course, the loss of life or the potential loss of life or the loss of potential life, I should say, right? The highest level of Tumah, ritual impurity, the Avi Avot HaTumah, the rabbis say, is the corpse itself or the potential for life. As in the case of a Nidah, of a woman, during her menstrual cycle, when the body is prepared for potential life, for the fertilization of the egg, the nidah that results when that egg is not fertilized, when life could have been. And according to Rabbi Halevi of the Kuzari, famous work of the Kuzari, he said it's the same with the seminal emission, the loss of seed, because it too has been endowed with the potential for life. And when a woman gives birth, which is what the Parsha opens with, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs suggested that when a mother gives birth, she's undergoing great risk to her life. We know this medically speaking, which is why halachically, according to Jewish law, a woman in, in labor is considered a chola sheyesh bo sakana, a woman who's ill that you can violate all of the laws of the Torah in order to preserve her health, right? She, she has this sort of brush with death. And, or in the case of nida or seminal omission, the potential for life that was never materialized. 
That's what ultimately produces Tumah, ritual impurity, which results in us not being able to have contact with Kedusha, with holiness, right? Death or anything associated with death keeps us from being holy. Think about it. A Kohen is supposed to be a very holy person in the community, cannot go to the cemetery, cannot come into contact with the dead. That's why the paradigm case of ritual impurity is a corpse. It's all about staying away from death. God's domain in terms of our life is this world, physical life. Judaism is a religion of life. And that's why, which is unlike some other faith systems that focus more on the eschatological phenomena, like life after death. Rabbi, what happens to me after I die? Resurrection, the Messiah. Now, Judaism has what to say about these things, but it's clearly not the focus. And we don't have such a specific, right, clear idea of exactly what's going to happen when the Mashiach, the resurrection of the dead, the world to come, because Judaism's life is really focused on the here and now. And if you think about all of the commandments of the Torah, all the mitzvot of the Torah, they pertain to sanctifying our lives where? Right here, right now, in this physical world. To elevate the way we eat, we have kashrut and blessings. To sanctify the physical dimension of time, we have Shabbat. To bring holiness into our marriages and into our most intimate sexual relationships, we have the laws of Torah to Mishpacha because we do not negate the physical world. We celebrate it by bringing holiness from the heavens onto earth. The goal in Judaism is not to transcend the physical, finite existence, to escape from reality. The goal is to inspire physical reality with holiness and spirituality. Rabbi Soloveitchik taught famously that the task, I'm gonna quote, of the religious individual is bound up with a performance of commandments. And this performance is confined to this world, to physical concrete reality, to clamorous, tumultuous life pulsating with exuberance and strength. Therefore, holiness need keep itself far away from death. The priest, the Nazarite, the temple court, holy offerings are all removed as if by an iron wall from the realm of death. Judaism, my friends, is about life. It's what the Torah means when it says, and you shall live by the mitzvot. Live by the mitzvot in this world, here and now. What does this have to do with Israel? That is essentially what changed when the state of Israel was created. Before the state, before we had our own sovereignty and independence in the land of our forefathers, freedom in Europe or wherever the Jew lived in the diaspora was dependent on the whims of other people, on governments who ruled over our grandparents and our great-grandparents who had no power to shape their own destiny. But with Jewish statehood came Jewish independence and with independence came dignity because the Jewish people can now charter their own path in life. They can have literally a life. Living in someone else's country, and we've been blessed here in the United States, right? But it ultimately means that if the government is favorably disposed to you, then all is good. Baruch Hashem, we're okay. But the second something goes wrong, and a scapegoat is necessary, the Jew is there, 
and there's nothing we can do about it. Rabbi Salvechik, in his famous work, called Odido Fake, Behold, My Beloved is Knocking, this is, this is rabbinic treatise on religious Zionism. He said before the war, the Jewish life, a Jewish person's life rather, was hefker. It was ownerless, right? You, 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 somebody got beaten up on a street in Europe. What were you going to do about it? You can call the police who are just as anti-Semitic? Israel changed all that. It allowed us to truly live. And I would argue not just live in Israel, but to live proudly and freely here, anywhere in the world. You know, I grew up wearing a kippah, a yarmulke on the streets of New York. But my dad always was nervous when he would see my yarmulke. He would always be like, you sure you don't want to put on a baseball hat? Because that's the way he grew up in America. He came from a little uh, town in Pennsylvania called Oliphant. And, and very observant Jews living there. Nobody wore a kippah publicly. Nobody before the state of Israel did this. And maybe not even before the Six-Day War, when Jews started really walking tall and feeling proud, because it, it gives us, Israel gives us a certain confidence. It emboldens us. It demonstrates to the world that the Jew is no longer a victim. The Jewish person is someone that can stand up for him or herself. Now, of course, this was always the case, but we didn't feel that way because we didn't have that security blanket. And Israel is even more than a security blanket. It provides basic life to the millions of Jews and others who live there. But not just that. We can lift our heads wherever we are in the world because although disliked by some, Israel is respected by many because it gives dignity and it gives life. And I would add one more thing before I finish. And this is something that all of us can take great pride in. Israel doesn't only give life and dignity to its own people. Israel gives life and dignity to anyone in need. Israel is consistency, one of the first, consistently, excuse me, one of the first countries to send disaster relief teams to affected countries all over the world. Mexico, Armenia, Turkey, El Salvador, India, Peru, Indonesia, Rwanda, Sri Lanka, Haiti, if you remember the big uh, earthquake years ago. And when Israel's 150-person medical team came back from treating hundreds of earthquake victims in, in Haiti, carried out 85 surgeries, Prime Minister Netanyahu personally greeted them at the airport, and he said to them the following, and I quote, you helped 1,600 people, 1,600 wounded people. You brought new life with at least eight births. You have shown the true face of Israel, a country that values life. One of the mothers who gave birth with the help of an Israeli physician named her son Israel as an expression of her gratitude. And think about this, a country which is so beset by terrorism, enemies on all sides, is somehow a leader, in a leading innovator in all forms of technology, making an impact on the world way beyond its numbers and trying to do everything it can, not only to bring life to its own people, but to give life to all the world. And it's all because Judaism is a religion of life. And our focus and our efforts therefore remain on sanctifying this world through the Torah and through the mitzvot by bringing Hashem's holiness into the physical realm 
and making this world a place where all of humanity can live with dignity. And so I wish you, Israel, a happy 75th. May Hashem continue to bless you, not only to continue to survive, but to continue to thrive and fill the world with life. Thank you for listening. And Yom Hatzma'ut Sameach.